Maybe you guys are half asleep from the bus ride. I'm just going to recap a few things we talked about. One, we talked about the question, who are you? Talked about identity. Talked about what makes you, you. I'm looking at you, cabin one. Cabin one, cabin one are my only friends at camp so far because I think it says more about me than you guys, but um, they're the only ones that ended up at that fire pit, but there was no real fire. And, and Ryan, I'm sorry. Yeah, Ryan, exactly. I couldn't praise you from the stage. Um, there's a lot of things that are going on, right? But we got to hang out and, and learn some things. Now what, they've had a head start to figure this out, but my first name is not Mike. My, my middle name is Michael. My first name starts with a G. We're not gonna guess right now, but if someone can guess it properly and tell it to my face without asking a leader who's been sworn to secrecy, I can give you some kind of points or snacks from the snack shop. Um, so I shouldn't have told you that at the beginning. You're gonna be thinking all night long. It's not Gary. So we talked about who are you, and now we know that many of you don't even know my first name. We talked about what makes your identity real. Like, is it just the music you like? Is it just the sports you play? And when we learn to take seriously this idea that we're made in God's image, if we take seriously that being made in God's image means more than just looking like something, it means to be in community, it means to, to live together and do life together well. It means to value every single person equally because you are the only you. There's no good pretending to be someone else. These are all the things wrapped up in the question of identity. Who are we? And we're gonna pivot a little bit tonight because we started in Genesis, we'll continue in Genesis, but we wrapped up last night with this idea that even if you don't use the word God or religion, or if you do and you have your whole life, we all have a sense of good and evil, right and wrong. We all have a code we live by. We all decide when is too long to hold the door open for someone. Is it 10 steps away, two steps away? Like, we don't know. There's no firm rules. You decide in your mind. And maybe you're sitting back there, you're like, yeah, well, I, I follow the rules. I, I do what's good and what's right because that's what my church taught me. Or it's what my parents taught me. And that's great. Like, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but who taught them? And who taught the people before them? These are simple but really difficult questions when you start to walk it all the way back. Like, at what point did we decide, like, it's not okay to throw rocks at people just because they stinketh? Now, that's because in the Bible it says he stinketh at one point. See? That's what happens when we pay attention. Um, at some point, we had to agree, hey, it's not, like, really cool to just, like, do things just because you want to do them all the time. Sometimes the thing you want to do is actually not a good thing. But again, who's telling you what's good and not good? That's where we pick up tonight. Because I think that internal sense, that inner voice, whatever you wanna call it, that is that image of God in each of you leading you. Remember, the language in Genesis is that God breathed into the dust to create humanity. It's that God breath in you that makes you an image bearer and that calls you to a different way. That second song we sang tonight, we're sick of pretending. It's exhausting pretending to be someone you're not. Exhausting. You will save so much energy, so much time. You will have so many better relationships in your life if you stop pretending. And here's the thing, God didn't make the facade you put on to please other people, he made you. So don't pretend. That's where we pick up in Genesis tonight. We're gonna start in Genesis three. This is right after where we stopped last night. 
We've got Adam. We've got Eve. We've got relationship. And now we have this new character. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you will die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die, for God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. It's a key phrase there. Knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for fruit and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit and she ate. She also gave to her husband who was with her and he ate. And then their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. Now, this is the moment, right? Many of you are probably sitting here going, okay, I've maybe heard this story before. What's the big deal? It's a tree, it's a fruit. There's a talking snake, I guess. Like, all right, we're just gonna go past that. Like, what is the deal? But remember, the Bible is an ancient book. Old, old, old. It's speaking to us here and now if we have the eyes to hear it, the eyes to see it and the ears to hear it. If we lean in and say, what is resonating with me here and what's, what am I resistant to here? It goes on a little bit further here. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. I like that, vivid imagery. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They went into the woods to hide. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit from the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent tricked me and I ate. And so God said to the woman, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing and pain you shall bring forth children Yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to the man he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree about which I have commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it in the days, all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground for out of it you were taken, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. A few things here. One, we're all wondering, what's this have to do with us? It's a tree in a garden. And a lot of people get wrapped up on this question of Genesis. Like, what do we believe happened here? When did it happen? How long ago? How, like, how many people were present? How many other animals could talk? What's going on in Genesis? And you can ask those questions. Have these discussions, but here's what I want you to think about tonight. It's not just that it happened, it's that it happens. It's not just past tense, it's present tense. This picture in the garden happens to all of us, and maybe there's not some tree that you're not supposed to eat of, but every single one of us knows what it's like to know what the wrong thing to do is, 
and to actively choose to do it anyways. We all know what it's like to have that voice in us that's saying, this is not the way, and we go, shut up, just for a second, and then we do it. We all know what it's like to fall short of some standard that's in our brains or in our bones that we don't even know who put it there. That's the picture we're getting in the garden. This is the story of all human history in Genesis. It's the idea that we can do it on our own. See, Adam and Eve, their sin, it's that word. Their sin was that they thought they should be gods themselves. They don't need God. They'll go sustain themselves from any tree they want, including the one God said not to do. Now, some of us, again, we might get caught up, like, why would God even put this tree in the garden? Sometimes we get caught up in these decisions like, oh, well, things should be different. Why would God put something there that these people weren't supposed to do, but this is part of our human condition that we think we're supposed to be able to do anything, anytime we want, but all of us know if we, if we acted out every impulse we had, we would be in shambles. We would be miserable. If every time you lost your temper, you punched a wall, you would break your hands until you couldn't write. If every time you wanted to freak out or leave or, or lose a relationship in your life, if you acted out every single thing you felt in every moment, it wouldn't work for you. And in the garden, we get a picture of what it looks like to say, God, we don't wanna do it your way anymore. We'll do it our way. Now, the picture we get is that they were tricked. Now, this is fundamentally a question of faith. Faith is belief, but it's more than belief. There's not really a word for faith in these ancient languages. And in the Bible, it wasn't written in English. It was written in Hebrew and in Greek. And, and the word for faith that we get, it's not really um, a, a verb, the way that we, we translate to belief, it's, it's something bigger than that. It's something beyond just knowledge in our brains. That's what we reduce it to. It's, it's, it's trust in something beyond yourself when you can't explain all of the nitty-gritty details. Now, that's not the same as shutting your eyes, saying la-la-la, and you just believe whatever you want to believe. Faith is something else entirely. And when they chose to break the one rule God had given them, it was a lack of faith. Now, faith is difficult. Faith is difficult because it, it causes us to call into question, what are the things we really value? Who am I? That was the question last night. Who am I? Who are you? Tonight, the question is, where are you? God's question to Adam and Eve when they weren't where they should be is, where are you? I think sometimes we've been so conditioned to read scripture or hear these stories, like God is just fundamentally mad at you, like you wake up in the morning and God's mad at you, so you have to like work all day to make God not mad at you. That's not what's going on here. God is fundamentally looking for you because God loves you and wants relationship with you. God's first instinct towards every human being on earth is love. However, that love calls to us wherever we are, and often when we are finding ourselves in places we shouldn't be, we hide. And so often God is calling out, where are you? Where are you right now? Yeah, you're in this room, but mentally, emotionally, spiritually, where are you in your faith journey? Do you have a faith journey? Now, the, the word I've been using here tonight is, is this word called sin, and that brings so much baggage a lot of damage has been done in the world throughout history 
using the Bible to do and say terrible things. And sin is one of the words that they hinge on to justify all kinds of terrible things. But if we could take a step back for a minute and go back to some of these ancient languages. I don't know if you guys have taken French or Spanish. Like sometimes like words translate one-to-one, but sometimes they don't. Sometimes there's all these other things that come with it. And the word for sin comes from a Greek word called hamartia. Now, that's a fun word to say, actually. You should all try to say it on three. One, two, three. Hamartia. Okay, cool. Um, It's kind of like, it sounds like a weird, like, Italian sandwich, maybe. Um, Hamartia is actually an archery term. If you didn't know that, cool. Hamartia is, well, when you're shooting archery, you're aiming at a target, right? And yeah, you can score on the outer rims, but you're aiming for the center, which is called the bullseye. And if you hamartia, it means you miss the bullseye. So fundamentally, what sin is, when you hamartia, when you miss the mark, it means we were created to be image bearers of God. And when we miss the mark, the mark is living into that identity. Whenever we miss the mark, we hamartia, we sin. Anything contrary to who God is or what God's called us to is sin. Now, maybe this definition of sin seems light, like it's not serious enough, but it's the most serious because it means everything we do matters. Every conversation you have, everything you put into your mind, whether it's through music or through TV or through the books you read, every action you take in life, all of it matters. Everything you do and say tells the people around you what and who you live for. That's why all throughout scripture there's this idea of people professing something with their mouths but denying the thing they profess with their actions. They say we should care about all people but in their personal lives they don't actually care about all people. Hamartia. Remember, we're not just image bearers on our own. We're supposed to be in community and sometimes we think sin is just a private issue, but every sin in our lives impacts everyone around us. And what is it? In the garden, what Adam and Eve wanted was to live a life where they didn't need to depend on God. And maybe that makes God sound really like needy, like, oh, God needs us to need him. That's not what's going on there. Remember, God is telling Adam and Eve in the garden, listen, Please don't eat of this tree. It won't give you what you think it will. You think it looks good to eat, but it's not gonna give you the thing you want. And they try to eat of it, and guess what? It didn't give them what they wanted. In fact, it gave them the opposite of what they wanted. To sin, to miss the mark, means to put something else in your life as the most important thing, as the highest thing, as the thing above all other things. And when we miss the mark, It's because we're trying to fill something that isn't able to be filled. If music's the most important thing in your life and you depend on music, it's gonna let you down. Whether it's the band that stops stops putting out good music or it's your inability to go to live shows, music can't rule your life. If you put all of your eggs in one basket, if you depend on one friendship, one dating relationship, one person in your life to be the most important person, I promise you, they will let you down because we're all human, we all miss the mark. And the problem is not that we're looking for fulfillment in our lives. Everything we do is about looking for satisfaction. Think about it, the the food that you eat when you get to choose, you eat it because you like it. 
And even if you don't like it, you eat it because you need food. Same thing with what you drink. The movies you watch, you watch these movies because you want to enjoy them. That's not a bad thing. You're seeking fulfillment. It's about where are you seeking it from? Are you aiming at the mark or are you missing it? In all of human history, every negative thing we've done collectively is about missing the mark. Every war that's been fought, all of the greed, all of the ambition to get more and more and more and more, it's all under this guise that if we could just get that one thing, then we'll be good. We're all seeking satisfaction. We're all seeking peace and fulfillment, and nothing in this world can give it. There's this great theologian that says, if I find in myself desires that the world cannot satisfy, then perhaps my desires are for another world. Think about the greatest thing you've ever enjoyed. It was only for a moment. Surf City might be the greatest thing you've ever enjoyed. It's only for a week. It's a week every year. Maybe you go 10 times. That's 10 weeks of your life. No one thing can satisfy And the story in scripture is so much bigger than that. Everything we do matters. And it impacts all of us. Uh, You've probably heard of the Ten Commandments, right? Ten Commandments are in the book of Exodus. Moses goes up and, and Israel leaves Egypt and they're about to start their time as the nation of God. And God talks to Moses and he gives these ten rules, we'll call them. But rules kind of bog us down because they sound like, oh, don't do that because I said so, but they're actually about fixing our community. Think about what is in the Ten Commandments. I won't list them all, but, but one of the things in the Ten Commandments is don't murder. Is that something we need to be convinced is an important thing? Is that one of the rules we should add to the Surf City video? Hey, this week, no murder, okay? No, because we know that's true, We know that jealousy in a community does nothing for anyone. If you are jealous of the people around you, it poisons your own relationship with them, but worse if you act on it because now you've done another one of these things. You've stolen, which now has hurt this relationship with the person even more. First, it was just hurting yourself. Now it's hurting everyone. Sin impacts everyone around you. And that's the history of our world is people looking for satisfaction in places and things and hobbies that can't give it. And we fall for the same trick that Adam and Eve did. We hear, oh, you heard that this thing will not give you what you want? I tell you it will. There's no one thing in your life that'll give it. There's this analogy about human beings being like a car. Cars that, now this was written in the 50s, okay? Very old, very, very old. Almost as old as, well, I won't name names. So they weren't talking about Teslas, okay? It says human beings are like cars. They're made to run on gasoline. And if you put anything else into this car, it's not gonna run properly. It's not that like the car is completely useless now. It's that the fuel it was made to burn If you put something else in there, it ruins the machine. You can't put water into a car and hope that it runs. And just like that, our human beings, we were made. We see it in the garden, and that's a picture of it, but we see it in our lives. Satisfaction is what we crave. Fulfillment is what we crave. And I'm telling you, the thing that will give you that fulfillment is Jesus Christ alone. 
It's God alone. And the problem is when we try to fill up our car, our soul with something else, it doesn't work. Now in that same story in in Exodus, the second book of the Bible, I promise we're not gonna read the whole thing. But Moses goes and he's walking around and he sees this burning bush. Maybe you've heard this story too. And in the burning bush, he hears this voice cry out to him, Moses, Moses. And it's God speaking to Moses and he says, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. And he begins to tell him about what's about to happen. He says, who am I talking to? Am I hearing voices? This is a good side note. If you're hearing voices, speak to your leader immediately. He says, who is talking? And, and the narrator is God himself. And God says, I am that I am. Now, names are really important. Is anyone here named Linda? Raise your hand. Excellent. So one of my best friends is named Linda. And I make fun of her most days that we talk because who is named Linda under the age of 60? You know? Like, come on. Names, though, are important. We see how important names are in the first book of the Bible in Genesis. Names are part of our identity. You don't know my first name. Like, it's a whole thing. In this passage in Exodus, God identifies himself with his name. Now, the first of the Ten Commandments is not to have another God before God. God's the only God. The second one is not to take the Lord's name in vain. So sometimes we, like, try to remove the word God from our vocabulary, but actually in the Bible... Again, this is things that we kind of lose if we're not Bible nerds sometimes, but don't worry, I'm here. Sometimes in your Bible, it says Lord in all capital letters, but it's really, really small. That's actually a place where God's personal name is being used. But the writers were so concerned with taking God's name in vain, they said, no, no, let's change this. This will represent the name of God, but this way no one says God's name on accident. And I've got a picture to show you. The, the actual name of God, is, it's pronounced Y-H-W-H. Now, we stick consonants in English between those letters, so we put an A and an E, and it's Yahweh. But if you try to make that noise, Y-H-W-H, I'm not asking you to do that right now, but it's almost like this breath sound. And historically, through Christian tradition, the faith that's been passed down to us for thousands and thousands of years has said that God is the thing that sustains our being. Literally in Genesis, it talks about God breathing into dust to give us life, but not only in that one moment. God is the thing keeping you breathing now. God is the thing that will give your life meaning now. Think about your lungs without even thinking about it. You're breathing, you're living, you are here in this room. Be here. God is the force that rules and runs and sustains our lives. And every time we aim at something else, we fall short. And the thing with aim, you know, uh, if you were to take a flight from Los Angeles to New York City and your plane was off by one degree, some math guy has done this equation apparently, trust him, not me, one degree off, you'd end up in Washington, D.C., Completely different place. Sometimes we think that missing the mark's not that big a deal, and it might not be at first. It might not ruin the relationships in your life at first. It might not ruin your ability to hear the word of God or to worship freely or to express yourself with vulnerability at first. But sin is a rotten fruit 
that ruins relationships, not just with each other, but with our God. Sin is fundamentally about disconnection, and we were made for community and connection. So the question tonight is, where are you? God called out to Adam and Eve when they were in the woods, hiding. But remember, God fundamentally doesn't want them to hide. God wants them to own who they are, faults and all. God didn't ask you to fix yourself up before going to God. God said, no, come to me now. Where are you? What are you aiming at? What is the most important thing in your life? What is the highest good that you live after? Is it to be the best in your class? Is it to be the best athlete? Is it to be the smartest person? Is it to be the nicest person? Those are all good and fine things as long as they are byproducts of aiming at God. If you put those things first, they'll always let you down. We asked, who are you? Tonight we asked, where are you? You go from this place, think about what are the things you're aiming at? Where do you put your energy and emotion? That's the question. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this night. Thank you for this place, this beautiful, beautiful worship that you've allowed to take place from song to prayer to silence to your word. We're grateful for all of these things. We're grateful for laughter. We're grateful for uh, people trying to flip off tubes and failing miserably. We're grateful for the successful ones too. God, you are responsible for joy in every category of life. And we pray that you draw closer and closer to us so that we know your love is for us and that you are with us. Go with us as we leave this place.